and we sit, you know, we're sitting on the bank just kind of doing this sort of post fish, you know, chit chat. And I look over and there's a tear running down Dave McCoy's face. And Dave's a really emotional guy, he's just a wonderful guy, huge on conservation. And I'm like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, he's like, this is a really special fish. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to fish for these fish again, right? Because it had been closed. I, and he's like, this is, this gives me hope. That was Peter Vandergriff sharing a powerful steelhead fishing story today. This story and choosing a new fly reel today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I'm curious if you've heard of the new Clubhouse social media app, the uh, the hottest thing out there right now. It's uh, still in beta mode, and actually it's only for iPhone users for the next few months, um, but it's going to be released soon to everyone. And uh, if you are on iPhone, you want to check it out, I'm at Dave C. Stewart, and you can DM me if you want to get an invite. Uh, it's kind of an on invite only, so I can uh, connect with you there. Just uh, touch base on Instagram or anywhere else. Peter Vandergriff from Cheeky Fishing is here to share some tips on choosing a fly reel. We also hear about the back room, uh, background on Cheeky, who his biggest influence was at Sims. Uh, we get a feel for a few tips like how to tighten your drag and uh, this amazing story about a trip as a 16-year-old to Alaska with his parents' purple van. Definitely don't want to miss that one today. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. Sawyer offers a full line of modern and traditional products for oarsmen, canoeists, kayakers, and paddlers from all genres, providing unsurpassed function, performance, and beauty. The Sawyer Artisan Oar is their very popular square top oar with carbon fiber X-weave fiberglass shaft reinforcement, featuring prints of fish species from artists around the country, passionate about fisheries and fishing art. These oars showcase Sawyer's and the artist's ability to create rugged yet highly functional art. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to grab your set today. I'm also happy to share another great sponsor we have with us this year. OPST's rods represent decades of dedication to sustained anchor two-handed casting. A rod reflects its designer, and these rods are a true illustration of Skagit Master Ed Ward's vision. The Micro Series uh, from 3 to 5 weight comes exceptionally close to single-handed specs and is proving to be a unique tool for trout and smallmouth anglers. Head over to wetflyswing.com OPST to check out the lineup right now. That's wetflyswing.com O-P-S-T. Without further ado, here is Peter Vandergriff from cheekyfishing.com. How's it going, Peter? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on here. We were having a fun little chat off on the uh, off air here about uh, some of the marketing stuff. So we're not going to dig into that uh, because we're going to focus on fly fishing here. But um, I did want to talk. You know, I think the marketing is interesting because you came over from some huge companies, Costa, and yeah. your, your history, and you came into Cheeky, which. I think most people know about Cheeky, but it seems like it's a, you know, maybe a brand that's been growing, right? It, maybe it's not at the top tier like some of these other humongous uh, fly fishing companies. But before we get into all that, and also we're going to dig into kind of choosing a reel, tell me how you first got into fly fishing. Well, I mean, that's a, 
that's a that's a long story. I don't know if we have enough time, but I I'll, <laughs> I, um, I I guess you know the thing I've always fly fished, and you say, now ah, how could you have always fly fished? So I learned I never learned to spin fish. I learned to fly fish from my grandfather, who was a metallurgist and uh, um, you know a creel style uh, a fly fisherman, but you know, he, uh, he taught us all at a young age, um, to fly cast. And, you know, so at the age of four and five, I was, you know, out there, um, probably damaging his fiberglass rods. Uh, you know, these were the really, really, this was the age of the, of the huge bend in a rod. But, um, so, you know, so I had learned from a young age, I loved it. I mean, I took to it right away. And, you know, by the time I was, you know, 10, 12 years old, um, I was the one cousin out of many, many that was sort of picked to go with my grandfather and his fishing buddies to the the hills of Appalachia in Virginia and and chase wild trout on the opener. And so I I really kind of always loved it and it was always a part of my life. Um, this was my mom's dad and, uh, my grandfather was my mom's dad. And so, you know, I just kept fishing and fishing and fishing. And, you know, I was sort of, uh, in high school, for example, um, before I could drive, I would have my dad drop me off. We lived in, uh, Maryland at the time and he would drop me off on the gunpowder river in the morning on Saturday morning. And I would fish all day and he would pick me up in the evening. So it kind of, kept me, I wouldn't say it totally kept me away from parties, but, uh, it certainly was something that, you know, as the, as the night, as you know, Friday nights wore on, um, I would be more apt to head home and get a good night's sleep so that I could get up and and do some fishing. Um, you know, I always liked to adventure, uh, when I was 16, uh, my, my folks were, what would I say? Uh, they had an interesting way of teaching us responsibility. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't get a uh, we got what was called a paycheck. We didn't get an allowance. So every two weeks, my mom was a teacher. She was a math teacher, and uh, every two weeks, she would give us a, a, a paycheck, and we had to pay for everything with it, which was, you know, lunches at school. Uh, our clothes, um, any sort of outside activity we wanted to do. So it really taught us to save. And so I've always been kind of a big saver and don't like debt and all that kind of stuff. And the reason that this is, you know, important is I really wanted to go to Alaska when I got my driver's license and my parents didn't say no. They said, you know, you can borrow the family vehicle, but you have to make X amount of dollars to pay for your own trip. So, um, I got a job, you know, I, I've, I've always have had a job since I was really young. Um, but I worked in the food industry. I was a dishwasher at the nice restaurant at the mall. So just imagine that it was called Sir Walter Riley's, uh, but I wouldn't even eat the fish there. Uh, and, uh, anyway, so I would, I would, you know, uh, after school, I would go to the mall and do my homework in the food court and then go work until 11. And so I had this money. I said, Hey, mom and dad, I have this money. And they said, gulp. Okay. And so anyway, so I, I drove to Alaska from, uh, from Maryland. Uh, so a long ass drive and spent the whole summer up there fishing and hiking. You know, we did 18 days in the backcountry, Um, and it was just a pretty amazing trip. And then again, when I graduated from high school, uh, I hiked the Appalachian Trail from uh, the North Mount Katahdin all the way down to Springer Mountain. It took me about six months, uh, 
And I picked my school because of the fishing. I went to University of Montana. <laughs> so uh, all that, you know, and in, in, in college, I was able to get a job as a fishing guide in Alaska. I worked uh, for Dave Egdorf, Camille Egdorf's father. And Camille was young when I was up there. I mean, she was five years old and would come up to camp. And we had these these rainbows that lived right in front of camp and we would feed them food scraps. And literally you would throw food out there and they would come out and eat the scraps of food. And as the, as the summer went on, they became gargantuan and they became really picky, right? At first they would eat, they'd eat lettuce, anything you threw out to them. And then later they would only eat meat. So, you know, roast beef or whatnot. Um, anyway, so, so I guided up there and uh, then I, you know, kind of helped me pay for college. I uh, got it in Missoula for a number of people, most prominently Blackfoot River Outfitters and, and John Herzer, who I'm still dear friends with to this day. Um, and then we moved to Livingston, Montana, just north of Yellowstone National Park. And I, I got an outfitter's license and had my own little guide service wow. there for a bit uh, called Got Trout Outfitters, nice. which was really fun. <laughs> play off a of got you know got yep. milk which was uh so i guess i'd always liked marketing uh i didn't yeah. really know that that's right um i also did some writing for the living state enterprise which was a daily newspaper there and uh you know i kind of i'd done a lot of guiding you know I ended up guiding for about 18 years and this was coming to the end of it and i was you know it was beating up my body uh, you know, I never had a summer with my wife, you know, yeah. uh, right. and so she was sort of like, Hey, you know, are you ever going to move on from this? So, you know, so I, I took this job at the newspaper, uh, which I, I wrote four days a week and then I guided three days. So seven days a week I was working. They let me get my Friday, uh, story in on Thursday. And it was really interesting. I studied, you know, creative writing in school and, you know, it poked around at it, but I, I still remember like the first day, sit down, they show me my computer and the editing software they use. And they said, okay, we need 500 words about brucellosis, you know, by the end of the day, cause we're putting it in the newspaper tomorrow. I'm like, well, wait, 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 what? Like, you know, uh, I think it, it, so many writers, especially coming out of school are, are just sort of you're in your own head a lot and you, you just don't want to put any, you think you have to have everything perfect uh, in order to put it out there. And this sort of weeded it out of me. And it was a really interesting, interesting job. It was actually one of the most interesting jobs I've ever had. Um, but it didn't pay well at yeah. all. Right. <laughs> so, so, uh, then I, I, I had noticed I was reading the, uh, rival newspaper, the Bozeman Chronicle, which was much bigger, but we are always, you know, kind of looked at that as, uh, you know, what were they doing? And there was a, there was an ad in there for, uh, someone to manage and sort of recreate the guide program at Sims Fishing Products, which was over in Bozeman. And, uh, so my wife actually found it. She said, you know, this sounds exactly like your skill set, And so I applied and had a really rigorous interview, uh, that took about six months and they weeded through hundreds of people and somehow they made a, just, you know, we, we could call it maybe a foolhardy decision, but they ended up hiring me. 
Um, and, and so that was sort of my entry into the industry side of things. And I, I worked at Sims for four years and learned so much there. And, uh, you know, there's still some great people that I worked with, with over there, you know, most notably uh, Diane Bristol, who, you know, A, I, I worked for in the marketing department of three there, which was really fun. It's now much, much larger. Uh, but it was just I was the third hire in the marketing department. <laughs> And, uh, you know, she's just a really wonderful person in the industry and still someone, you know, I, I really believe in, you know, kind of surrounding yourself with with good people and, um, you know, really respecting the folks that have helped you helped you get there. And uh, so I'm, I'm still in close contact with a lot of those folks. And from there, I, uh, I uh, you know, Al Perkinson, who was then at Costa, uh, approached me about working for them. And uh, so that was a, a step to a really large company and a little view outside of the world of, uh, you know, of fly fishing, even though I did focus on fly fishing and then later all freshwater fishing there and, and really learned a lot about cause marketing and purpose-driven companies and, you uh, you know, some of the bigger picture items uh, that, that Costa was doing at the time. Um, you know, when I went there, we were doing things like, you know, had started Indie Fly and done the movies in oh, yeah. Guyana, Jungle Fish. And, you know, we're, we're working with, um, uh, geez, I don't even remember, a country, like the largest country music star. I'm not a country music oh, fan, as you, you can mean, tell. Uh, you mean uh, Garth Brooks? No, it wasn't Garth Brooks. It was the, what the year little guy. It? Oh, what year was this? Oh, geez, this would have been, I don't know, eight years ago? Oh, oh from now, eight years from now. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking too far back. Uh, gosh, mm -hmm. I don't even know country music in the last... <laughs> oh, boy, how can I not remember this guy's name? Yeah. Anyway, you know, it was like his tour, which was the largest tour on the planet, was sponsored by Costa oh, wow. and Budweiser. That's right? crazy. So it was really interesting to see that big world marketing, um, but also in that big world marketing you know, that we were so focused on this kind of community aspect and, you know, just really going, uh, go, going to the links of just being really, really connected. Um, and was super proud of my work there, uh, especially some of the work with kick plastic, you know, getting water bottles and that sort of changed my life. Right. And just looking once you sort of go down that road, Dave, of, of, of trying to understand your influence on on the on the planet at a micro level, from buying a plastic bottle at the convenience store or bottled water, yeah. um, and how you can really start to make a difference there. Um, you know, I started to really, you know, preach trying to kick you know kick plastic out of your, uh, you know, out, out of your work and out of your your home life, yep. and uh, so sort of, uh, you know, really proud of some of that work and. Um, you know, then just this last year, uh, Ted uh, Upton, who started uh, Cheeky Fishing and Wingo Outdoors, approached me about coming to to work for him and really running marketing there. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, whoa, Pete, you know, Sims and Costa, like, why, you know, why would you go to such a small company? And I mean, that's the reason it was small. Um, you know, there was a, a real chance to sort of hopefully bring some of the knowledge that I may or may not have learned um, yeah. to to a young brand that I really admired. I really admire Ted and what he's done there and really created something that's different. Uh, it has 
it's has its own verve. It has its own voice. It sort of has its own way of operating. That's different than anything that, that I'd experienced And you know, and honestly, it, it's, it's a marketer's dream because you have this, this really fruitful thing that hasn't had any brand work done around it. And so then you're able to, to, to really say, okay, well, why, why is it successful? And what are the things that really drives it? And then just you know, kind of pour gas on on those things that have made it successful. And then there's Wingo Outdoors, which is a young company that has the ability to really expand outside of the fly fishing realm. I mean, right now it's it's uh, you know it's dog print or it's I'm sorry, fish prints on dog products and belts and buffs and key fobs and lanyards and things like that and gloves. But I, I think the runway there is really long and we're going to really take that in some interesting directions. So that's cool. Um, anyway, yeah. that gets me from here to there and sort of as quick a time as I can. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I think uh, there's so many things I want to dig into. I mean, going back to, um, you know, Alaska and Diane, I definitely wanted to hear about that. And also just hearing about Ted and the, the cheeky. I think the interesting thing there is, like you said, you know, and everybody, everybody knows the Sims and these big companies and, and everybody kind of knows a cheeky too, but they're always kind of like, well, you know, they're not quite there. So it's interesting that you're there, you're with this company that, you know, obviously is a newer company and to, to watch that develop is from my perspective, because I have a little bit of that online, you know, that marketing, uh, you know, skills as well. So, uh, you know, I love hearing the story. It's going to be fun as we move forward too um, on this, but yeah, maybe we can just take it back just before we jump into some of the other things I wanted sure. to ask about um, cheeky. I want to go back to that Alaska thing because you said, I think, how many days total were you there in Alaska? Oh, how many days? Well, so, you know, I was there three years um, and it was my summer job. Oh, so, okay. yeah, gotcha. so I would go, I would go up in the summer. So I was at University of Alaska studying, you know, uh, <laughs> studying beat poets and whatnot. And then, and then I would, I would go to Alaska. And I mean, this is, you know, I, I think what some folks, you know, especially maybe younger listeners, I, I mean, I, I can't even express how remote it felt then because you would fly into this camp on the Nushigak and I was at main camp mostly. We had two camps at the time and, uh, you know, there, there wasn't any cell there, you know, you weren't calling anyone there, no. you know, there was no coverage there, you know, this was, I don't even know, I don't think I owned a cell phone at that point. It was kind of pre-cell phone. Um, there was no internet. Um, you know, this was all generation generator. Um, we didn't even have long range radios. We had a short range radio, so you wouldn't hear from anyone until the plane, the (laughs) plane flew in. And when they were, you know, within 20 miles or something, you'd pick them up, uh, on the short, short wave radio. And then, you know, you'd run down and, you know, grab some restock. And, you know, here I was, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, really barely an adult. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was given a shotgun and a jet sled and hundreds of miles of wilderness to, uh, explore and fish in. And it was really a, just, uh, kind of, wow. you know, fed right into, uh, to that, you know, just kind of that adventuresome, uh, gene that I, that I guess I have. And, you know, I, I still remember at the time, like getting there and like, you know, just seeing one of the things I love about guiding, and I've talked to a lot of folks about, you know, what do you miss about guiding? I miss the people, right? I loved having those interpersonal connections. Mm-hmm. I think fly fishing and maybe fishing in general, it, it, it's the great equalizer, right? Like it doesn't matter how much money you make. You can't 
really, you can buy your way into a great place to fish, but you can't buy your way into a fish, right? You have to do that thing. And uh, it, it means that even if you have a tough time rubbing two pennies together, right? Like you are, you know, you're in a, an even playing field with the billionaires of the world. And I, th- I love yeah. things that are the great equalizer. Um, cool. I, I guess I'm an egalitarian in heart. <laughs> did you, when you went up there, so the first time you drove up to Alaska with your parents' car, did you drive, mm-hmm. drive up alone? And was that just to explore? Or did <laughs> you actually have a job? I didn't have a job. So that was, I'd worked, uh, you know, worked in high school. I got my, you know, I, I turned 16 and wanted to drive up and my folks, you know, uh, said, make this money. I made that money. I said, you can use the family. We had a van. We called it the van van. What kind of van? Just so we can paint that picture. What, what, what was this van? Oh, it was a Dodge Ram van. It oh, was, yeah. it had three bunk seats and was purple with a silver stripe in the middle. And it had, it had, um, dark back windows. It was sort of funny because when we, we would drive it to school, I had two brothers older and younger. And so when I was younger and my brother would, you know, allow me to, to ride with him to school instead of taking the bus, like there were a couple times we would drive by the school and the school would get phone calls. Like there's <laughs> someone here to abduct kids, Nice, uh, but it had a big sliding door on it. And, um, and so, you know, for this trip, uh, you know, I was, my, my mom's like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to drive up by yourself? And I was like, yeah, I guess I will. And she, you know, she wasn't completely crazy. She had a, uh, she was working, like I said, as a teacher and she had a young teacher at school and talked to him about coming with me. And it's so funny because in my mind, he was like 40 years old, Yeah. but it turns out he was 22. Oh, wow. <laughs> so and you were so, and you were like 16 i was 16 yeah wow. so we went up and had a, just an amazing time and you know caught salmon and you know we camped the whole way obviously um and, and did that we did a big backpacking trip in denali and uh you know what's really great about that park in fact i wish they would do it for all parks is that you had to get on a park bus to go through yeah and uh you know then you would get out and we we were doing this hike where we went up the Tolklat river and then we crossed a, gr- a glacier and came down another drainage and we were about six days into our trip and we were walking up river and wind was in our face and um you know we had a uh uh, we had bear bells on, but we yeah. were kind of in this alder thicket and we came around the corner of this alder thicket and about, you know, 50 yards away were two small cubs, like really oh, cool. teeny tiny cubs. And about 50 yards on the other side of the cubs was a mama grizzly who proceeded on <laughs> yeah. running full speed at us and, and charging me and this guy. And, um, I, I, uh, you know, we, they, they train you, you have these things called barfs, bear resistant food containers you put yeah. on your food in. And then they say, you know, here are the stages, you know, don't look them in the eye back up. And so we were doing that. Well, grizzly bear throwing our arms in the hair in the air and like moving together. And she bluff charged us, uh, four times. And every time she was pushing us back and then she would run up and push the cubs away. And, you know, so she would just kind of get close and, um, on the last charge, we were actually standing in the river, which was really cold. We could see the glacier was coming out of, and, um, and, and the, uh, the bear came down and was kind of doing a big curve, a big circle, but you know, it, when it hit the edge of the water, so much water exploded from its paws 
that, uh, you know, the guy I was with, uh, he went down into the prone position in the water. Wow. Um, it started floating cause it was, it was, you know, within 10 feet of Dang. us. It was really, really close. And so he went down and he later said that that was the scariest part of the whole thing. Cause he didn't know if he was going to come up and the bear was going to be on him or it was going to drug me off or, you know, what, what would have happened? Um, anyway, and it, it, it had just, you know, that was, it took its cubs up and over the hills and, yeah. uh, made the next few nights really, uh, pretty, yep. pretty berry and hairy so there you go did you did you tell uh did you tell your mom that story what you got later that? yeah later and boy she's retold that thing a hundred times at least probably a thousand times i know isn't that amazing about i've had a few bear encounters up in alaska and it it's like out of all the stuff the fishing you know you go up there for all that and there are some good stories there but you know it's those stories those bear stories and all the other ones that you kind of tell don't, don't you yeah. at the end of the day i think there's very few times as humans, and I think we're we're feeling it right now, where we really feel vulnerable, right? We really feel that we're, you know, out of con, uh, you know, yeah. that we've sort of lost control of our own life of staying alive. I think that's all an illusion, honestly. And mm-hmm. I think we're we've kind of learned that through this pandemic that, you know, our 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 safety is is a psychological illusion we put up. Um, and and I think that at least for me, you know, I've always kind of been, you know, fairly introspective, but I think this has really hit it home. And I've always been about don't put off the fun you can have today, because at the end of our life, all we really have are, you know, are, are are these memories that we make, like who cares about all this stuff, all this, you know, you want to be, there's and even security, financial security, you know, we all know is a little bit of a myth. So, um, don't want to get too philosophical here. I agree. I think, yeah, I think it is kind of, especially in this country, you know, in the U S things are kind of crazy. I, I just kind of, you know, to, to get off the subject a little bit, it's funny. We just last night did a little exercise. We tracked down my last name, you know, Stuart. We didn't, I never knew on my father's side where, where it went. And we uh-huh. kind of did that thing online, you know, whatever, through the whole genealogy and stuff. And we tracked it back to literally like a king in Scotland, right? So the Stuart Shield. Right. And it's just this really interesting thing. But as you look, those are all people like in 20 generations along the way of my family. And these people that some of them only lived to be 20 years old, some of them. And it's just amazing to think, like, put us there, right? We're not that different. I mean, things are different, but we're still, you know, we're just living to, to I mean, right. why, why are we here? Like you said, why are we on this planet? And for you, I think, for some of these things, having a having a purpose, and that's what fits yeah. in with these companies, right? If you give the company a purpose and their why, that helps them think more than just the money, which is obviously way more Abs- important. Absolutely. You know, as we were sort of having some preliminary discussions and even really before I, I joined the team, um, you know, that was sort of one thing that, that, and, you know, Ted is a, just a really incredible, uh, businessman and he's got a really, oh, cool. you know, he's got great knowledge of, of so many different things. He was really well educated. Um, you know, and I said, look, you know, I'm just going to tell you right now, um, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bring a real sense of purpose to this work because if all we're doing is, you know, if all we're, if the whole purpose is just to sell more reels, no. I'm not interested. No. Right. No. And no one else will be either. No. Uh, I said, you know, we, we have to really determine like who we are, who, you know, what are those voices, you know, that we're representing out there 
And what are we trying to accomplish? And, you know, going through those exercises as a team and as a growing team, I mean, boy, we've, we, you know, we've hired, you know, five people in pretty quick succession. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's really fun. What is your, what is your, st- like how many people are on the, ne- well, let's think of this. When you started, so you said about a year ago, um, yeah. I mean, how many people are on there now? I was the fourth hire and they had just hired the third, you know, quickly, uh, before I was there and we're now, I think 10 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's you're like double. really growing. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the pandemic has, you know, it, 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 the, the one great, sort of offshoot of, of everything is that people have discovered the outdoors again and they've discovered fly fishing. So, yeah. you know, we've been really successful and we're scaling, uh, for, for that growth. And, and that's really fun. Well, I, I wanted to, Peter, I wanted to uh, jump into, um, obviously we got a bunch on cheeky we could dig into. I wanted to just talk and this will probably bring us into that, but you know, as far as choosing a reel, this is something you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about on here about choosing a fly rod, choosing a line, but the reels seem to be that one thing where it's like, well, you know, just get a reel. It doesn't really matter what it right. is, you know what I mean? But right. I, I know it does matter. So I wanted to touch. So if, let's just think of somebody, if somebody's kind of new, you know, maybe they're sure. thinking of buying their first kind of nice reel and, and they don't know where to start. Can you just break down what they need to know to, to purchase a reel? I mean, absolutely. I, you know, I think that uh, you're absolutely, you're right. Sometimes the reel is sort of the overlooked, um, you know, piece of equipment as is fly line. I think those are the two that, um, you know, they're, maybe they're not as sexy. Um, you know, certainly cheeky has tried to make them sexy. I mean, That's we were right. sort of the, the first to come out with those bright, bold colors. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody was like, Oh God, we, you know, yeah. uh, you know, the traditionalists and some of the traditional companies, right. were just very entrenched in black and you know, right. maybe gunmetal. But now if you look through, uh, you'll see everyone's has got color and the more color, the better. And I, I think that Ted should be really proud. And we're really proud of cheeky that we really started that revolution. Um, but that doesn't answer your question. So if someone came to me and said, well, what fly reel do, do I want, right? The first thing that I would ask is, well, you know, what's your what's going to be your primary rod? And, you know, what rod are you matching it to? And what are you primarily going to be fishing for? And how much do you think you're going to fish, right? Let's take this, Peter, just for an example. We're kind of in a dry fly season. So let's just think sure. of it as a dry fly. Let's just think... And the rod, exactly, you could have a bunch of different rays, right? The nine foot, five weight. But let's just say it's like a, let's say it's a 10 foot, three weight. That's the rod. And, 10 and say, foot, three weight. Yeah, wow. 10 foot, three. Okay. And, and I only say that because I was talking to um, uh, a Joe from Thomas and Thomas recently. Oh, yeah. I'll, sure. I'll put a link to the show notes to that. And I was asking him, we were talking the same thing. And, and he mentioned, I think, either that or 10 foot, four weight, one of those in that range. But sure. again, I was kind of thinking, well, it's not you know, your standard nine foot, five weight, I guess, no. is, is the standard. But he was going, no, would you choose a reel differently on whether it's a 10 foot, three weight versus a nine foot, five weight? Well, yes, I would. If it's a, if it's if it's kind of a switch spay style um, or even a single handed rod, you know, those longer links, sometimes, you know, you're, you're getting specialty lines that are a little bit longer. Um, or if you're talking about something like, uh, you know, a spay or a switch rod, you know, it really depends if you're, if you're going to be using a line, you know, if you're going to be using like a, a, a Scandi or maybe even a traditional spay line, it's going to take a lot of space on a reel. So you probably right. want to one up your reel, uh, size from, 
uh, you know, from kind of the typical thing that you'd be getting for a four weight, right? So, gotcha. um, you know, where, so limitless is our top of the end reel, right? So instead of getting a, a three, two, five, maybe you get a three, seven, five, uh, for a four weight, which would typically be for a five to seven weight line. But once you pack all of that, uh, you know, all those heads in there, you just want to make sure that, that what you're not doing is you're not shorting yourself on backing in case you do have that big fish. Um, as well as you want to make sure that when you reel up that line, you're not starting to, to, to bind the reel with too much, uh, line on there. Right. So, uh, so I think that that's really important, you know, so, so, I mean, the one thing that we are really focused on at Cheeky, um, and a lot of, a lot of companies are, is making sure that we can, uh, have a reel for every part of a, of an angler's journey. Right. So, as we know, a lot of people have found fly fishing in this pandemic. Um, in fact, I'm going to call out Diane Bristol. I was talking to her about the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, she still works at Sims, and she we were just kind of hitting around like, yeah, there's got to be a name for this new this new person. And she's like, yeah, the I'm like, yeah, this pandemic angler. She goes, the pangler. Oh, so, the pangler. So I'm now using the pangler. I'm coining, she coined the phrase, um, I am commandeering it. So this pangler, um, it, you know, what they're looking for is like, how can you demystify uh, this sport for me that seems so complex? And so something like the preload, which is, a, a, we make it, it's a $99 reel. It comes with backing fly line and a leader already on it, right? Great entry point. It's a really great drag system to it. Um, it's a real value there. Um, and, and that's a lot of what Cheeky wants to do is mm-hmm. it wants to bring, you know, uh, I, I kind of say we want to Robin Hood this this stuff. I was yeah. about to use the curse word. That's uh, right. <laughs> we want to Robin Hood this. Like we want to hey, bring. By, by the way, Peter, you could go ahead and cuss on this one. I, I do, <laughs> I do uh, bleep them out sometimes, so don't worry about it. So, but yeah, okay. feel free to just talk naturally. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, it's, 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 you know. I should not be cursing anyway. I'll have to put a dollar in the swear jar here. Right. Uh, so uh, anyway, so yeah, so we, you know, so so we want we want to bring more value than you're paying for, right? So for Limitless, you know, this has really got the drag system, the sealed drag system, and just the um, the large arbor and the lightweight that you would find in a six, seven, eight hundred dollar reel, and we're we're offering to to our, our customers at half the price, right? So we want to sort of, you know, give you the, 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 the high end that maybe you'd be, you know, spending a thousand dollars at someone else, uh, for about half that. And so we have, you know, the, uh, so you've got, you've got this preload reel and then we have the Tyro, which is the next step and the launch reel, which is, you know, just beautiful and, and has a very silky drag system and then the limitless. So we have, uh, uh, we hope we can walk the angler through their journey. And, and one of the things, you know, when I, when I came to Cheeky that we really sort of discussed, like, you know, who are our people, right? Like, you know, who, who do we really identify with? And one of the things we did in an exercise is we, we identified that we're probably a younger crowd. We're probably a little bit irreverent, right? Um, you know, we don't, we, we don't really buy into the whole traditionalist, uh, idea of fly fishing and the elitist like we hate the elitism of it we also realized that we're probably not the all-inclusive uh, uh lodge people right we're more of the diyer right yeah. so we're more of the people that you know drives our toyota truck to the uh 
uh, you know, the riverside and sleep in the back so that we can be first on the river. And we really want to work that puzzle out. And so, you know, as a company, we're, we're, you know, in this next year, we're really focusing on what can we bring to the table for this pangler, this new angler, this learning angler, as well as the more experienced person on how they can do it themselves, how they can learn uh, to yeah. get on the water, as well as, you know, the all important thing of like river etiquette, right? That's something that's cropped up a lot. You've seen angling trade articles about mm-hmm. it. Um, and, and I think that there's a validation there. I don't, you know, or, or a value there to, to teaching this, um, you know, how do you, how, how do you coexist with other anglers on the river, whether it be in boat or uh, wade fishing and, you know, what's proper etiquette, um, what's proper fish handling is a big one. Um, you know, are we loving our rivers to death? I think I saw that somewhere. And, you know, we want to make sure that, that as an industry, we're, we're, we're helping people down the, the, the angler's journey uh, in the right way. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. OPST's rods represent decades of dedication to sustained anchor two-handed casting. A rod reflects its designer, and these rods are a true illustration of Skagit master Edward's vision. The Pure Skagit series falls right in line with OPST's principles, a short, medium, fast-action rod that sports an extra-sensitive tip all while maintaining a powerful lower section that's true and sure to leave you impressed by its feather launching potential. And I've been using this rod for steelhead uh, lately and been blown away by its lightweight and and the power it packs. You almost don't realize it's in your hand. It's seriously, it's like, um, it's ultralight. So that was, you know, thinking about how to describe this thing. I think that's the word that comes back to me. Uh, I was casting some big flies for steelhead with a sink tip and a bunch of wind, and I didn't have a problem at all, even with my less than perfect uh, casting technique. So I've been impressed with the 11 foot seven weight, but there is a huge uh, line. They have uh, three different rods in the lineup uh, from six to uh, nine weights and from 10 foot eight inch all the way up to 12 foot three inch, which pretty much for me covers, covers it all. So um, I'm excited, excited to dig into more of this. Uh, these rods actually diverge from the micro series in a few ways. The upper grips are double weld and thus aligned uh, for the contemporary two-handed rods, uh, while the lower handle still remains switch style. Uh, these rods are also slightly faster than mi- the micro series, being a true medium fast action that utilizes the upper third of the rod. Targeted towards fishing large trout and up to Canadian and Alaskan king salmon, this series should cover all the bases when targeting those larger fish. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash OPST to check out the lineup right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash OPST. Sawyer offers a full line of modern and traditional products for oarsmen, canoeists, kayakers, surfers, and paddlers of all genres, providing unsurpassed function, performance, and beauty. They design and handcraft every product in the USA, ensuring everything they make is from the highest quality materials with careful attention to detail. They take pride in their employees, stewardship of the environment, and our country. In return, you have the assurance of knowing the product you receive from them is genuine, made in America, and cannot be replicated. I've been using Sawyer products for a long time now, which is why I'm definitely excited to share them with you on the podcast here. I've been down some crazy technical whitewater and uh, mini fishing adventures that put me in places that were... um, 
where I had to make a good move. And I, I love the design, the power, the performance, and always knowing that um, I can count on that stroke, even when you need to make you know that one to get past the rock or whatever. You can always count on Sawyer for that. And you can count on them as well. Sawyer products are designed by paddlers, oarsmen, and surfers alike to fully meet your performance needs. Pick up one today and experience the feel of water. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to grab your set today. That's Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R, wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to get started. Okay, back to the show. And I want to go back to, you know, again, you mentioned the reel. So the preload is kind of your <clears throat> kind of your intro. It's got the backing, the fly line, everything good to go. Um, yes. And so on that one, what, so let's just take it. Let's just say nine foot five weight, just to make it easy. So you got yeah. somebody brand new. They're probably yeah. going to grab a nine foot five weight or something similar to that. So what would be, is there a real model or is there only one? Yes. Or, yeah. So the, the preload 350 would be the one for them to, uh, to hop on. Um, it would have the line that's perfect for them. Um, it's all set up and ready to go. What line is that that's on there? Well, we make our own line. Oh, you do? Um, yeah. So this is, this is a line and we make it just for the preload. Um, it's floating weight forward. Um, it's, uh, I would say, you know, sort of the, the fly line trick is that it's, it's probably a little bit heavier in the front. Um, a a lot of it because we're focusing on, okay, the person that gets this preload, you know, they're going to really need to be able to load about 20 foot a line, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, and being a, and being a guide, I, I kind of chuckle a little bit. Um, you know, so, so especially in Montana, I mean, it, it was, it, it's pretty interesting that people would, um, come out and, and really struggle to cast 20 feet. But I would say it was a rarity that people could cast over 30, you know? Yeah. Um, which is really, I mean, some people are like, what do you mean? 30 feet. I'm like, I I told people if you can get 15 feet out of, you know, the end of your, your, uh, you know, your rod and I'll help you get there. Um, we can catch 80% of the fish on this river if you get a good drift. And if, if my, if my, uh, uh, my, my bug selection is right. Um, so, so this is, you know, when we think of something like the preload, we're really thinking about what's something that's going to be really buoyant with some great weight forward so that it really helps them, you know, when they're first learning to cast, have that weight, you know, uh, that weight early on, uh, because we're not expecting people to cast, uh, you know, to cast all the line here. I will say I took this to pyramid Lake recently. I took this line and like, it's great. I mean, Mm -hmm. I could cast the whole line and, you know, I wouldn't call myself an expert caster, although I'm pretty good at it. Um, but, but it, it was, uh, you know, it fished really, really well, and the buoyancy of it's gotcha. awesome. So that's the preload. So, so basically, that's so that's the intro. And then, so if somebody, let's take it the next step. So somebody, like you're saying, we're walking through the customer journey. So they, yes. they've already bought your preload, or maybe they hadn't, but they're kind of at that next level, right? They're like, maybe yeah. they do some steelhead fishing or something like that. What would be, so is the limit, Limitless the next? And talk about the features on, like, the, the difference between Limitless and your other one. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so... um you know, the, the preload has, you know, uh, what we call the S, uh, uh, S power drag system. Uh, you know, it's kind of stacked alternating discs. So it's a disc drag, but it's not sealed. So like for a $99 reel, like great drag system. So then you go to the Tyra that has a very similar drag system, which is kind of one step, uh, one step up from the preload. In fact, they're very, very similar. Um, we do the Tyro and what we call the triple play, which is a, 
uh, a fly reel and spool bundle. So you get the fly reel and two spools. So you can kind of have those as you're on your sort of fisherman's journey. And we do this in the launch as well, which is the next one up I'll talk about in a second. But, you know, I just love these bundles. Uh, Fish Pond makes us a great little bag for them. And as you're progressing on your journey, like, you know, Probably once you get to the point, Dave, where you and I are, I mean, like, I've got a stack of rods that never see the light of day. It's really sad and <laughs> yeah. lots of reels with, right. you know, different lines on each one of them. But, you know, back in the day, I mean, I was always carrying extra spools because I would say, oh, you know, like, yeah. do I want to be fishing streamers with a sink tip or a full tip or an eye line? You know, once you get into intermediates, right, there's a lot of subtlety involved there. And with the way that lines have gotten more and more and more um, you know, kind of specified, it's nice to be able to have a couple other ones there with you, uh, without having to buy three or four reels. So, so that bundles, are, I think is a really good, a really good way to go. And cause that's kind of your next step, right? You're like, ah, you know, I got my four weight or my five weight, right. you know, my standard fishing rod, like what's next. And you're like, well, you know, I've always wanted to fish for pike or, you know, I know that there's carp, one of my personal favorite freshwater fish, I know that there's carp in my area or, you know, I'm going to go striped bass fishing or, you know, and then, and then you're like, okay, well now I, now I've got the bug. I'm obsessed by this. Uh, I can't, I just, you know, I can't wait till my next time to get out fishing and I'm starting to really understand my home waters. I'm getting more specific with it. You know, maybe upped my game from an entry level rod to a you know mid or upper level yep. uh, rod, and I want to match that with a, a lighter reel. So that's we developed the launch uh, last year as this great. Um, you know, it's not a fully sealed drag system, but it's it's uh, it's a waterproof drag system. It's one you can use in the salt. You want to rinse. You always want to rinse everything after the yeah. you fish in the salt, and really, actually, anytime you fish, especially lines. Uh, they get, they, you know, they go south quickly if you don't clean them. But anyway, so, uh, you know, the, that launch is, is, is ultra light. It's got a very smooth startup inertia to the drag, which is, you know, going zero to drag. You know, that's when a lot of fish are broken off, um, where it's like zzz, pop, yeah. right? Because that startup inertia to your drag isn't smooth. There's, you know, some sort of sticking point at the beginning. So, um, with our drag systems, especially on launch and limitless, that startup inertia is just very, very smooth. Um, and it's it's light with the large arbor. So it balances really well with all of these, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, um, very highly engineered rods. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, and I mean, Thomas and Thomas is a perfect example yeah. of just a beautiful, highly engineered rod. But I mean, you talk about Loomis or Orvis yeah, or or Scott, you cannot find, I mean, you can't find a bad fly rod out there. If you ask me, there's so many, I mean, compared to 30 years ago where, you know, there, there was some, maybe some junk on the market. We've come so far that, you know, a $250 rod today would be a a, a cast, you know, cast very close, honestly, to a thousand dollar rod. Yeah. Um, yeah, but gotcha. uh, okay, so you so you're mentioned. So we got the launch, and was there a fourth uh, reel in the line? Yeah. So the limitless, right? Oh, so that's kind of yeah. our yeah. So fully sealed drag system. You know, this one goes up to 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 a size reel that'll fish. You know, uh, uh, big stuff. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen yeah. weight gotcha. line. 
Um, so and you know, this, yeah. So this is the one you get, uh, you know, when you're, you, you're at the pinnacle and you want to have that pinnacle product or you're chasing a pinnacle fish, like, gotcha. uh, you know, you're flats fishing for the first time and you just don't want your, uh, you don't want to have to worry about your real failing, right? Because this is where this is where the failure is going to happen, right? It's it's rarely going to happen when you're catching that 12 inch trout, yeah. um, unless you've mishandled your reel and not not you know get laid it in the mud or left it in the salt or something. But uh, but you know once you get to something like a tarpon or a you know you just you just can't yeah. risk it. You gotta so, have that. You got to have, you got to have that. So cool. that's how we sort of think about, you know, uh, helping our angler get through their whole lifespan as a, uh, as an angler. That's it. So that walks through it. And I just want to circle back on that. So we talked about some features and if we could just think maybe the, you know, kind of a top five, top 10 features sort of thing. You mentioned a few, you yeah. know, we had, you know, the, a lighter reel, uh, a yes. reel for salt, a sealed drag, a, you know, yep. startup inertia, the larger arbor, are there other things to think about that add to that more, you know, when you compare the limit list to say a preload or any high end reel to, are there any features we're missing there? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I would say for a higher end reel, you know, you're going to want something that's fully machined. Oh, right. That's a, that's a high grade aluminum aluminums, you know, that this is kind of that aircraft aluminum, um, you know, an integrated uh, reel foot. So something that's actually part of the overall reel. Once you get to a, a you know a larger reel is, is uh, or a um, more expensive reel is something that you'd probably want to look at, and that's uh, I can remember one of my favorite reels way back in the day. Um, it didn't have an integrated uh, a foot to it, and I was constantly I mean I lost that reel off off of my rod so many times because of the screw and like oh. I didn't put Loctite on it. What is it the just, integrated? What's the integrated foot? Oh, so yeah, so it's it's integrated. It's just built into the reel rather than an add-on piece that's screwed on. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I mean that that large arbor. I mean that was another thing that we were sort of an early adopter of. Um, you know, something that. Uh, 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 so when you're when you're reeling, you're just picking up more line, and especially when you're you're fishing something like tarpon or bonefish or permit. Um, you know, the big yeah. three of flat fishing or, or, or flats fishing, or, you know, I would also say, you know, for striped bass, um, or arapaima, I can tell you what, I mean, so, uh, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to have worked with Indy fly and be on the board there. And, you know, one of the sort of crowning fish in a lot of ways was catching a giant arapaima, uh, in Guyana. And the thing about those fish is that there are really kind of slow and subtle they actually suck the uh the their prey back into the back of their mouth they don't really have teeth they have a crushing palate so they suck it way back in there and they crush it and it's it's so it's such a um hard hook set because they'll actually you know bend the hook flat so that it's it's kind of lying horizontally and you it's really hard to get the 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 fly to get purchase in their mouth and the big ones come right at the boat because they, they are the apex predator. They're like, what the hell is this thing? And so they just come straight at the boat and, and you have to uh, be able to pick up that line as it comes in or, you know, even as you're stripping in, right, you're trying to, to catch up to it and get a good hook set. And then you've got this line around your feet and you want to get that out of there as quickly as possible uh, when they do 
finally make that uh, their their big runs. They're, they're a really interesting fish because they jump like tarpon, right? So they jump, open their mouth, and like I mean, I just still have dreams of uh, big arapaima just jumping and shaking their mouth and just seeing my fly tumble out of there. That's it. And that's where the and that's where the um, the large arbor comes in. Whether whether you're doing that exactly. or, or even a lot of we have a lot of listeners here that are steelhead fishermen. Oh yeah, same right. thing would be. So basically, any of those reels, the limitless, the launch, um, yeah, or even the the tyro or uh, tyro would probably be good. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, limitless and launch are kind of you know they're they'd be yeah or tyro you know yeah. for sure. And like I said, like if you're for for spay fishing, um, you know spay line steelhead swinging. You know, I would always kind of one up uh, my yeah. size just to give myself a little bit more room, especially you know those those skagheads. And I'm not an I'm not an expert. I've you know some great friends who uh, who help me limp along with them and and more yeah. or less tell me the the lines to buy because I can be pretty oh, complex. Yeah. But uh, you know this whole this this whole kind of skagit I don't yep. want to call it craze. Yeah. Um, but it's it's such a game changer, right? Oh yeah. Like. Here I am, someone who, you know, maybe goes once a year for a couple days, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a good year, maybe a week, and uh, that I can get out there and really, you know, really have the ability to to make just really, really long casts where, you know, back back when I was first learning, in fact, I'm sort of looking at, you know, an old GLX that's like a, you know, a 14-foot rod, and like I can remember trying to cast that thing with a 100-foot you know, oh, yeah. uh, 110 foot belly line and just struggling and catching myself in the back of the head. And now to go out there and just be able to, yeah. And just, it's, it's nice. It brought it all to the, to the, basically, yeah, anybody can, can do it now. Although it's interesting because I, you know, we've had a number of guests on here that have talked about steelhead and the fact that sure. you, know, you catch a ton of fish right in the, you know, the ankle deep water, you know, the yeah. fish are just sitting in there, you know, and uh, <laughs> so it's pretty cool. But yeah, well, I, I think we're, we're doing pretty good here. I mean, I, I one thing I want to check on as far as a resource. Sure. So if somebody, you know, obviously we always direct people to a local fly shop if they can get there, but if they can't get there, where would you send somebody? Is there something online where somebody could find out like, okay, I've got this rod, I want to match it with this reel or vice versa? Well, I, you know, so at Cheeky Fishing, we have a, a reel selector, and uh, basically, it's it's a pretty clever tool. Uh, you can go in there, and it's kind of got a little map of you know various fishing waters, and uh, so you sort of click on, you know, we we really sort of wanted to make it again, you know, kind of uh, demystify it. So it's like, well, where are you fishing? Small stream, click here. You know, flats fishing, click here. Open ocean, click here. Lakes, ponds, rivers, you know, and everything in between. So that's a really good way to to uh, to select. Um, you know, pairing that with uh, pairing that with a, a a reel. We we basically have made especially launch and limitless. Uh, you know, with with a lot of uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're very cognizant of the weight because you really want that rod to balance correctly right and if you put your reel on with the line and uh you know you put your finger right at the end of the cork if it's if it's completely you know centered and balanced there you've got a really uh, a very balanced rod yeah um and and a lot of times because rods are getting lighter and lighter and lighter i mean i can remember um you know, when, when, uh, my buddies at Orvis said, Hey, we've got this new line of rod coming out and they sent me, and this was the H2 and they, they sent me one of those. And I remember getting it and being like, Oh, 
they forgot to put the rod in the tube because it was so light. I could not believe that there was an actual fly rod in the tube. And, and sure enough, there was. But, you know, I mean, that, that's been a real innovation uh, that's come about in the last, you know, decade or so. It's just that, that those rods are getting so, so light. Yeah, and uh, so we it. have to match that up with reels, which just means taking chunks out of the reel and yet keeping them very, very sturdy, right? So it's a, it's definitely a highly mm-hmm. engineered um, product development. Um, you know, Ted, Ted's our product guy, and he's you know developed all of the reels that mm-hmm. we have, and he painstakingly, um, you know, uh, 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 goes through renditions. What's Ted? Just, just give us a brief little because we I haven't talked about Ted. I don't know the background. What is his background in fly fishing? Just a quick little summary there. So Ted is, uh, it was really interesting, right? So he's fly fished his whole life. Um, and, uh, he started cheeky in college with four of his college or three of his college buddies. So the four of them started it, you know, he tells this great story about how, uh, you know, he would have to ride his bike before he was going to class, uh, over, over a bridge to, uh, uh, drop reels off to be shipped, hmm. right? So, um, nice. so, and they all kind of they modeled it a, a lot after the ski industry. They were all big skiers, and they said, you know, why doesn't fishing manufacturing feel more like skiing manufacturing, right? Because this is when you know those small ski companies were really starting to become prominent, and uh, so he they really looked at that. They all love to ski, they all love to fish, and they said, you know, we were going to build a a different type of company that's a little edgier. Um, you know, that, that is, is into inclusion and, um, you know, is into these bright colors and kind of has a verve to it. And, uh, so he did that, you know, he, he, uh, he went to MIT, right? So he's a smart guy. Hmm. Um, uh, well, which doesn't, he'll always tell you, I mean, he tells me this all the time. It's like that, that doesn't make a smart person. No, right? but, but yeah, uh, but it is a, it is a barrier to entry for sure. It, yeah, for sure. So I mean, he's got he's got kind of some of that, you know, some resources of uh, that that book knowledge that look I don't have, right? Like I've never taken a business course in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so we're a really good foil where he has, uh, you know, he he's he's also great at finance and whatnot. And I, I'm kind of a dreamer, right? I'm a big picture guy. I, yeah. I'm I'm working towards a utopia. Um, a, a, as hard as that is to actually. Um, you know, really envision of ever getting there. And I think like anything, it's about the journey. And if you're making decisions pointing towards uh, a utopia or, the, or sort of the way the world should be, then you're doing your part to move it there. And so I think that, you know, that's kind of um, something that I, I try to instill in the the folks that that I work with and the companies that, that I, you know, work with as well. Um, yeah. You know, and one of the things that I think that cheeky does and this tote a little bit off, off uh, topic, but you know, one of the things that always attracted me to the company was the schoolie tournament, which is the largest fly fishing tournament in the world, right? Mm-hmm. By far. Hmm. And so this is happening every year. How do you spell that? Uh, at schoolie. So like S C H O O L I E. Oh, okay. Um, and the great thing about it, Dave, is it's a one-day tournament. It's a low barrier to entry. Like, it's cheap to get in, right? Like, I know what it costs to go down and fish a Florida one. It's unguided, no boats. So it's two fishermen and a team. Uh, you have to have your feet on the ground. It's all catch and release. Uh, we worked with Keep Fish Wet to come up with the best 
measuring and handling um, uh, uh, protocols, mm -hmm. so which we enforce. And so it's catch, photo, and release. And um, it's on Cape Cod, so the entire Cape Cod. Uh, it's May 22nd. Uh, in fact, we are in the wait list uh, part of registration. Registration has been going on two weeks, and uh, we have close to 500 people who have registered for the event, which is just amazing, if you ask me. And part of that is because, um, you know, yeah, if you win, you win some great prizes. Uh, all the proceeds go to Stripe Bass Conservation with Stripers Forever, Keep Fish mm -hmm. Wet, and um, the AGSA, which is the uh, American Saltwater Guide ASGA, American Saltwater Guide Association, uh, who does a lot of great, um, you know, policy projects when it comes to striped bass and recreation. Um, anyway, I, I just love this thing. I've a lot. I'm I'm a I love events. Uh, at, at Sims, uh, I, I was uh, part of the team that put on the Ice Out Guide event, which grew to be the largest guide event in the world with about 900 people coming into Bozeman. And we just had these great things like, you know, the shootout, which was a video award. We had great speaker. It, it was just really awesome. And and you just you just see when people get together. And I know we're all really craving getting together right now. Um, and and so. Last year, we delayed the event from May. We typically do it the Saturday before Memorial Day. And we do that for a couple of reasons. One, it's kind of the unofficial kickoff to striped bass season. Um, two, you don't have to have beach permits then. So you have to buy these permits to park. Um, and, and one thing that I just love about, uh, about the Cape is that if you access legally – you can walk as far up and down the bank as your feet will take you. And it's very similar to the stream access yeah. policies currently in Montana. Yeah. And I just think that those sort of, th those sort of uh, abilities to, to do that really gets my juices flowing of being able to explore. Um, I always want to be on the right side of the law. I, I, I hate skirting the rules. And I, I also believe that, you know, our public waterways and our public lands yeah. are, are there, should be easy to access. There should be no barriers. How does that work in Montana when you're there? Do you, I mean, if you're in the stream, what if there's a, a cabin, you know, right on the bank, literally? There, doesn't there. matter. So you can be, you'd be below, fishing right in front of their, ca their cabin. Right in front of yeah. their cabin. As long as you're below a high water mark. Uh, hundred year high water mark. Um, and there's actually a little bit of verbiage in the law where, you know, if, if, uh, there's something that's impeding you, that's dangerous, right. Yeah, you, you can, can, up you, can you can walk around it. A lot yeah. of people don't I, know that. I love that. Do you know, I mean, I know that's not the case in every state. How many states have no. laws like that? It must be a very few, right? It's very few and they're in jeopardy. They're even in jeopardy here. Oh, as really? we have. Yeah. Why, why is that? Know, well, because we, because of this last election, we have some folks that are real pro private property nuts yeah. and uh, are, are probably, it's expected that they'll try to challenge it. It's something that, you know, um, if challenged in Montana, people come out of the woodwork, right? Yeah. Because it, it makes no difference uh, what political party you're from. If you're a fisherman or a hunter, and you you utilize public land like you're you're going to fight for that right because for a lot of us it's it's maybe the most important thing outside of our family. I mean, I hate to say that, but for yeah. me, you know, the the I can't imagine not fishing. I mean, I can't imagine it. It would be devastating or not having a place to fish. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, that access is, is, is so important. And we're really lucky to, to have um, the ability to, to access these wild places. So, you know, like, you know, there's, there's places like Wyoming where the, the stream bed is, is owned by the landowner, but if you float over top of it, you're okay. Um, you know, there, there's places like Colorado where you can't even do that. And, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful there's a movement the other way, but yeah, it seems like, you know, more and more places are in jeopardy. Before, as we take it out of here, I just wanted to uh, touch again, go back, because I love to kind of summarize these things. But so if somebody's in it for, say, let's go back to that dry fly rod, you know, just a basic yes. rod, they could pretty much just grab almost any reel as long as it balances, right? Because you don't need the, you don't need a sealed drag. You don't need a super lightweight reel necessarily. And so, yes. so that'd be the recommendation. But let's say, say they're going for saltwater, then there's a bunch of things they need to get or even bigger fish. I mean, if you talked about bigger fish, let's, let's just say steelhead, for yeah. example, you basically sure. need a, a larger arbor would be nice. Um, yep. uh, the, I guess a lot of the, the, the big features would be helpful, right? For even for steelhead. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think because of our, they're all disc drags, right? And they're, uh, that any of them would, would, would do the job. Uh, you know, for me, I mean, steel, it's, it's also like, uh, you know, steelhead is such a, a mythical creature. Uh, I'm not, like I said, I'm not much, uh, yeah. I've, I've caught steelhead. Certainly I would not, I am not, I'm, I'm a novice at best, yep. uh, steelhead fishing, um, I, I had the, the great pleasure, you know, to, two of my good friends are Dave McCoy, who's a great steelhead oh, fisherman yeah. and Tom Larimer, oh, who's, you know, obviously a, a great steelhead fisherman, fisherman. And I'll tell this quick story because yeah, I think yeah. it's, it's hilarious because here I am with two legendary guys and, uh, uh, we are on the Skagit a couple years ago, right when it opened up. Um, and, uh, you know, it'd been closed for 10 years yep. and whatnot you know, we, we met, they actually picked me up at the Seattle airport with a drift boat in tow on a Friday afternoon. It was freaking packed and here they come rolling no through the drift boat. It's oh hilarious. Uh, and so, so we went up there and, and fished for a couple days and, uh, we were fishing one run. We'd actually, so, so here we go. We, we've all longtime guides. I mean, there was 60 years of guide experience in this boat and, and I wouldn't even say any of us are, are old men, but, um, we are where we get to the put in and we float down to the first run. We get out and we realize we hadn't brought a drop of water or an ounce of food. Oh, wow. All we had was a few beers and <laughs> we were, we were all really, really thirsty. And at one point I really, I was just like, I'm just going to drink the water. They're like, don't do it, Pete. Don't do it. Yeah. So they had to like talk me off the cliff, but we're, you know, we're about, you know, we're maybe third run down of our day. And, um, you know, I'm kind of between these awesome fishermen and this gets back to your, they're in ankle deep water, yeah. you know, these incredible casters and I'm, you know, slopping my stuff out there and they're, you know, they're pinging the far bank. And, uh, and, and I was lucky enough that I, I hooked one right in front of me. Oh, nice. Um, and so, you know, oh, they come over and that's, that's the thing that I really just love about, you know, kind of steelhead fishing or any fishing, right? Like when someone else catches a fish, I am more than happy to reel up my stuff and come over and help out oh, yeah. and, and be part of it. It's just such an yeah. incredible experience. And this was a pretty incredible fish. And we, you know, I, I, I got it in and I, I, uh, I, I could like the hairs on Tom's neck are standing up as I'm telling the story. <laughs> so Tom goes to tail it and he, he grabs the tail. He's got the tail and, uh, 
he fumbles it, right? Oh. Here's a guy that's got thousands of steelhead under his belt and he fumbles and he goes to grab it. He like knocks the line. And of course, you know where this goes and the yep. fly comes out of the, 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 you know, the mouth and, and, you know, the fish swims away. And like, he's just like, Oh, he like turns to me with this just white. He's just mortified that he just did that. And it is absolutely the best result because a, I don't need quick another release. fish pick. Yeah. yeah. It's a quick release for the fish. It's, it's great on the fish. Yeah. And the best part about this, I have this story to tell about him for the rest of my life. I couldn't ask for anything better. But we go over and we sit, you know, we're sitting on the bank just kind of doing this sort of post fish, you know, chit chat. And I look over and there's a tear running down Dave McCoy's face. And Dave's a really emotional guy. He's just a wonderful guy. Yeah. Huge on conservation. And I'm like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, He's like, this is a really special fish. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to fish for these fish again, right? Because it had been closed. I, and he's like, this is this gives me hope. And I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, in so many, for so many reasons right now, I think that we really all need a little bit of hope that the Earth's gonna yeah, help, you recover. know, help clean this thing up. Yeah, so. I think I think it is. It's just gonna take time. I I wanted to highlight uh, Tom. Because that was I've had Tom and Dave on on different episodes and uh, yeah and they both just produce awesome you know shows um, and oh, Dave at IFTD before the COVID hit I, I met Dave for the first time at IFTD a couple years ago and yeah he was out of everybody I met there was only a few people that I really made a crazy connection with and he was one of those guys like he sat around for an extra time we just chatted but so yeah I appreciate Dave for sure um, but I wanted to go back to the to the beer so. So you guys have yes. no water. You've got how many beers are on the boat when you start off? <laughs> Eighteen pack. Oh, of you got plenty. Beer. You got plenty got of plenty. beer. Okay, I was going to say, because if it was two, if it was two, that would have been a different deal. So you got 18, so you guys could drink beer all, yeah, or at least split them up and you're not going to oh, die from, uh, yeah, thirst. It was, it was a, you know, we may, we may have, you know, tipped a few back the night before. I think we were all a little bleary-eyed in the morning. Yeah. I, I, I still, vividly, we get down there and I'm like, what are we doing? Like nothing to eat. That's classic. no water, not a water bottle. It That's was, so it was good. pretty funny. I, I love that. That's so classic. There's no, no water or food, but there's an 18 pack of beer. That's right. Perfect. <laughs> Typical, right? Cool. Peter. Well, I think there's a bunch of stuff. Um, like always we leave on the table here, but I think we gave Absolutely. people a good idea of, um, you know, what Cheeky's about and some tips, at least on choosing. I think like, like we For were sure. saying earlier, you could probably, Go online, check that out, or go into a local fly shop. Or, um, yeah, yeah, go into your flo- local fly shop, or email, or call us. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're uh, we sort of stress that in this day and age, you know, we we want to be very, very connected to um, anyone who's interested in the sport. Um, so we'd be happy to talk you through. That. You know, we we get messages, Dave, all the time on things that. Really, I don't know why they're reaching out to us. Like, I'm, you know, I'm going to the White River in Arkansas. What flies should I throw? Perfect. And it's sort of an interest, you know, those sort of questions are interesting. Like, wow, like you're asking us. And that that's a real privilege. Yeah. And so we, you know, we really, really value um, our customer. We're going to go the extra mile. If we don't know something, like even something like that, if we don't know that, we can find out, right? There's, you know, I mean, we're plugged into a network of great guides and, uh, you know, in fly shops 
around the country. But yeah, going into your 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 local fly shop is a great way to to get a high level of service. If you have any other questions, or if you just prefer to, uh, right now it can be tough to go into uh, you know into places. You know, give us a call or shoot us an email. We'd be happy to answer any and all questions and. And Dave, you know, one of the focuses we have for the next, you know, uh, six months to a year is is creating some content to answer those questions, uh, whether they be blog posts or videos or whatnot. Everything from how to select a reel, like we just talked about, to how to set your drag, right? Like I think that those some of those very, you know, um, uh, uh, rudimentary or what we would think would be rudimentary, either they may not be known by by someone new to the sport, or we may have been doing, I mean, so many times, like I find, find out things that I've been doing wrong for 30 years and, you know, um, I feel like a bonehead, but I'm happy for the information. Do it right. Let's hit on that really quick, Peter, because I don't want to miss that just quickly on, um, I'm not sure if you know, but uh, you know, the best way to set your drag, that is a good question. How, how do you, you know, you got a reel, how do you set your drag? Well, so everyone is always like, "Oh, I'm going to set my I'm going to set my reel to the fish I'm catching, right?" Yeah. No. You set your reel to the tip that you're using, right? So, number one thing, you want to make sure, you know, that your 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 fish comes into the equation, but you want to make sure that a there's no backspool, right? So don't loosen it up enough that what backspooling is is when you you can test for this, you Pull your line off and you want to make sure that the reel doesn't overspin and chew your line back in because that's how you get tangles when it's running out of your rod, right? So big, long rip, make sure that that's good. Always set it lighter. You can always tighten later, right? But try to match that to your tippet. So if you're using very light tippet, you want to be very light on that. And if you have a fish that's going to take a tremendous run like a steelhead or uh, a bonefish is a perfect example, right? So you may say, oh, I need to stop that run. No, 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 right? The more line that's out there, the more friction there's going to be on the, the water, the lighter your your um, uh, the, the lighter your drag should be. So you want to match it to the tippet. If, if you're expecting a long run, like uh, even, even with trout, if you're like, okay, well, I'm fishing trichos, uh, you know, for big monster trout here on the, the Bitterroot or something, you want to make sure you have a really light drag because it's, it's, you're using 6X, 5X, 6X tippet, but you know you're going to be catching a big fish and it's going to run. You're going to have a lot of line in the water and you want to make sure that you're not putting undue pressure to, uh, to test your knots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got that's and that does that make sense? sense? Yeah, it does. And for the trout, I think if you take it back to again that that person fishing for trout, maybe small trout, they just just pull out. Once you have your reel, pull it out until it won't overspin on you, right? So it's obviously yeah. tight enough so it won't do that. Once you get there, then you yeah. can kind of slowly adjust it, you know, as you need. But start out lighter than tighter, which is a great point. Exactly. When you're when you're fishing for bigger fish or for heavier tippet, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's say that you're. You know, you're like, boy, I'm out here, I'm, I'm tarpon fishing. And, you know, it's also, you know, you, you, you want to always play the fish in as quickly as you possibly can, yeah. right? To not overwork the fish, to not put it in danger. So um, for something like tarpon, you do want to, you, you know, squinch down the, the, um, the your reel a little bit more for a number of reasons. One, it, they are going to make big runs and have a lot of line out, but you're going to be using heavier line, right? Yeah. Maybe 
30, 35 pound uh, 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 breaking strength on a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Some people run straight 50 or even more so they can lean on those fish. But uh, they're like, they run so fast and, and so, and you know, there's such an incredible fighting fish that you want to immediately have some pressure on them, as much pressure as you possibly can. Yep. And if you have too little, your, your spool will be just going so crazy that you're hundred yards deep in your backing before you can even, uh, you know, work on, on turning your drag knob. So that's right. That's right. Cool. All right, Peter. Well, I, I guess, uh, like always, I could talk to you for another hour or two here, but I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you get out of here. Uh, so it's just um, cheekyflyfishing.com. If anybody has questions for you, yeah, cheekyfishing.com. Uh, we didn't talk about Wingo, but WingoOutdoors.com for some some cool, uh, you know, yeah. uh, fish prints and whatnot. For another sure. another great uh, brand to check out that you'll be seeing a lot more of in the future as Perfect. that brand grows. Perfect. Yeah, I'll put I'll put links to uh, Wingo and everything else in the show notes. So. Um, Cool, Peter. Well, thanks for taking the time today. This has been a lot of fun. I uh, I have a good perspective on Cheeky, and, and I, I think if, uh, you know, I'll keep in touch with you as you guys go and look forward to seeing your uh, pro- progression. Thanks, Dave. It was a pleasure to be on here. And uh, yeah, I can't wait till we're all uh, out fishing again here soon. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 199. So we are one week away from 200 magical 200 episodes and I've got a good one to share for you next week. So if you're brand new, you haven't subscribed to the show yet, just click the subscribe button in whatever app you're on. And uh, that next episode, which is going to be a big one, is going to be shared out to you directly. I want to remind you the Gorge Fly Shop is our local fly shop and you can support this podcast by supporting the Gorge. Just click any link or go to wetflyswing.com slash gorge. That's G-O-R-G-E. And anything you purchase there, uh, this podcast will get a small commission at no extra charge to you. I want to thank you in advance if you've already purchased from the Gorge. So that's a wrap. That's all we have for you today. I want to thank you again for uh, stopping by today. I hope to maybe uh, connect with you online or maybe see you on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.